The following program contains disturbing content that may be in settings and situations similar to your own. Discretion is advised. America's heartland, flyover country, shaking dice at the cafe for morning coffee, crop prices and rainfall, a day's work for a day's pay, business conducted on a handshake, where a man is as good as his word, church socials and town team baseball. But as the sun sets on this piece of Americana, there is no immunity from the darkness. There are things dare not spoken, and thoughts recessed in the corner of a man's mind, masked by the roar of a summer thunderstorm, hidden in the silence of winter snow, yet peering from the darkness in the shadows of the Midwest. Welcome to Shadows of the Midwest and a second bonus episode. First, I want you to know that the next episode of our story will break things open. I received some uh, case-breaking documents in the last couple of weeks, and right now I'm trying to figure out how the best way is to uh, deliver them in the rest of the story. I appreciate your patience. Today I'm presenting excerpts from a recent conversation with James Boots Rothstein, Uh, Jim is a retired uh, New York City police detective and an advocate for victims of human trafficking. This originally was going to be in episode uh, episode three of season one, but as conversations progressed, it split off into a number of topics that included uh, the assassination of John Paul I, the Kennedy assassination, corruption at St. St. John's University, and the Stonewall riots, among other things. Uh, Jim served uh, the city of New York from 1965 to 1980, including a special assignment at the uh, New York State Select Committee on Crime. Uh, Jim finishes public service as mayor of St. Martin, Minnesota. Now, if you've heard interviews with Jim, you know his stories sound absolutely sensational. And I would think the same, but there are several new pa- newspapers and books that uh, document his stories. And I'll share some of those on our Shadow of the Midwest uh, Facebook page. Uh, Jim has a lot of friends. Uh, As I visited him one day, uh, Watergate attorney Douglas Caddy called. And Jim actually told him that he'd just call him back. Uh, Before we start, I want to fill you in a few names that Jim refers to. There's a Gary McGahey and his uh, partner Tidgewell. Uh, They were Minneapolis police officers that uh, worked in prostitution and... uh, Uh, A lot of their work focused on uh, shutting off that connection uh, from Minnesota to New York City. Uh, Marita Lorenz, uh, she was a CIA operative, and she was also the mistress of uh, Fidel Castro. Uh, She also gave testimony uh, in the JFK assassination hearings. Now, there was a rumor that a film with uh, Jennifer Lawrence was going to uh, focus on her life back in 2016. I'm not aware of uh, what happened with that. Uh, Frank Sturgis worked uh, for the CIA, and he was one of the Watergate burglars. He was also rumored to be a possible gunman in the JFK assassination. And finally, Roy Cohen. He was a controversial uh, controversial New York attorney who earned his stripes in the McCarthy-era witch hunts and ultimately was disbarred after a very sordid career. Uh, if you'd like to uh, learn any more information about uh, most of these guys, have a 
a Wikipedia page. Uh, but with all that being said, uh, here's the excerpts from our conversation with Jim Rothstein. I got out of I came back here and then I went back to New York. And one night, me and one of my guys that were in the Navy together, uh, at 4 o'clock in the morning when the bars closed, at 6 o'clock they were given the tests for cops, right? So he bet me a case of beer. His name, uh, his name was Brodsky. And that uh, he get a higher score? And we went up to Fordham University where the tests were given. And I ended up number 51, 51 or 56 out of 7,500 guys. And that's how I got to, then, because I was from out of state in that, and uh, I got picked right away to, to be a cop. That's how I got into it. But later on, I found that the shit I was involved in in the military, you know, all that stuff would comes in with the Kennedy stuff and all that. But that's how I got on the police department. 64. In 65, I, you know, I got appointed. February 15, 1965. After I had passed the tests and all that shit, I got appointed as a uh, February 1966, a year later. And he came to me, he was the captain of the precinct. And he said, Rothstein, you're from that shit place, Minnesota, you know, Stearns County. You take the hookers and pedophiles. And I didn't want that, you know, but then the, this Lieutenant Bennett told me, you know, if you don't take it, you're going to be walking a beat the rest of your life. So I got on this special assignment, and within three weeks, I found out that we actually had no knowledge of what was really going on in the human trafficking, both the pedophiles and the hookers. And that's that's when I got into all the stuff. Because uh, then in August or so, a cop, a plainclothesman, got stabbed to death by a pimp. This pimp had one girl, so every time the girl went out to do tricks, he'd follow her to make sure that nothing happened, right? Well, one night, Plain clothesman got her for prostitution, and the pimp thought he was doing something and stabbed the cop to death. Then I got put on super assignment after that, and I told them that everything they had, for instance, uh, what they had down as pimps were Murphy men. Murphy men were guys who would tell you, listen, we got Mrs. Murphy because the Irishmen were on the west side and, you know, uh, go to... The Murphy girl were, and they go up there, and then they go out the back door and just take the money that they had. They weren't pimps; they were Murphy men. They didn't know the difference, and that's when I got put on another. You know, my detail got more, uh, more involved in the facts of life. See, when I first started with the hookers, we just lock up the hookers that for loitering for the purpose of prostitution. And then when all of a sudden these people start getting killed and stuff, and they realized what it was, that's when we got into everything and then the cop got killed and then all the pedophile stuff, you know. So that's how that happened. That Minnesota strip was done because uh, uh, deer hunting season 
I would go to Black Duck, Minnesota to go deer hunting. So one year, the cops and the hookers got together, and whoever got arrested put down that they were from Black Duck, Minnesota. So they ended up with 400 hookers from Black Duck, right? Well, there weren't 400 people in Black Duck at the time, but that's where the Minnesota Strip came from. They, they called it the Minnesota Strip because of me being from Minnesota and going to Black Duck. Yeah, because when we started working and brought in the Minnesota stuff, because, and you've got the newspaper articles that they even wrote, uh, Magahi and Tidwell, uh, they were the guys that actually worked it, and they were crucified. And they brought 11, 11 kids, and including the girl that had the flipper for her arm, the Indian girl, uh, that had that from thalidomide. And they came there and they testified at the hearings about what was going on to verify all this stuff. But here, these three, there were 13 of them that we actually, uh, yeah, it was 13, yeah. And they testified. And then when they get, all that got stopped, they all, got screwed over and everything to cops. Oh, the pimps came here to get them because the word was, you come out here, you know, then the, they start pimping them, and then once they got in, they couldn't get out. Oh, yeah. The pimps told me, man, we go out to Minnesota. We go out to, especially Stearns County and that. Yeah, that's where we could, and then, you know, up to uh, Bemidji and all that for the Native Americans and all that, but uh, uh, and then, like I say, when we got into it real big and and then we found out the biggest thing was when I found out of using human compromise and human intelligence. That's where it really got deep, you know, where the military and the CIA and them started doing that. The stuff I have with the CIA where they ended up killing the three boys. You know, two 14-year-olds and a 15, they were having sex. Actually, there were four kids. One didn't die. And then they, while they were having sex, three of them died. And I ended up getting the guy, you know. So this stuff is the way it went in real life. But then they stopped us with national security. Now, you know, that that's why you can't believe a lot of this shit. But I was there. No. You know, we sat in a, we went to a coffee shop. And my partner would only call the guy a boy fucker. It was in Locust Valley at the train station. And we put him in a booth, and he started threatening us. You know, I'm with the CIA and all this and that. And with that, I had my gun under the table, and I cocked it. And I said, you know, we haven't decided yet if we're going to kill you or not. And then the guy goes, listen, I'm just doing my job and this and that shit. And then when he got time, in those days, there were no cell phones, so we drove down to a gas station by the Long Island Expressway, and we called the office, and they told us, we've just been hit with national security, and that was with the State Select Committee on Crime. See, that's how that went. 
And but, but when the guy, you know, and actually we had every intent. This guy would have made a move. He was fucking dead, you know. But national security. And then, like I say, when we caught that CIA killing that those three boys, and we got hit with national security, and wasn't long after that, an old friend of mine, he was a deputy inspector by that time, he says, Jim, I have an offer you can't refuse. Take a disability or. <laughs> that was the end of my career. Now those kids that died, or that got killed, were they the ones that were having sex with those Navy guys? No, these were the ones that were having sex with Len Stewart, who worked for OPEC, and a Dr. Chesky. We never, ever saw Dr. Chesky again. You know, once that happened, he was gone. And Len Stewart, I saw him. In fact, I was taken to where his office was, and we talked to him and all that. Oh, yeah. And it was national security. Now, are these the boys they suspected being buried up in Connecticut? Yep. They're Mar Greenwich, Connecticut, and... Roy Cohen's farm, and years after he died, one day there was an obituary, because I had seen a picture of where this was, but we were told it was in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and it wasn't, it was in the other end, and it matched exactly. It was the same thing, 110 acres with a stream running through the house, and that's what it was, and there was the picture. Tippy Richardson was the CIA man. Yeah, yeah, man. yeah. The guy that your partner called Boyfucker. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think we sometimes used appropriate language, you know. <laughs> I got a kick out of that one VA guy here. Oh, you guys can't do things like that. It's like Frank Sturgis when he came in. And I put my gun in his mouth and said, April Fool, motherfucker, and my partner put it on his chest. You know, he says, well, I says, we were going to kill him. You know, what do they think you're doing when you're dealing with one of the best assassins in the world? You're not going to kill him? Otherwise, he kills you. Yeah. It's going to be. And there's Marita's, what she wrote in her book. It was in her apartment where Sturgis came, and that's what she wrote finally, mm -hmm. when she wrote her book and that. And wasn't um, Sturgis and E. Howard Hunt, weren't they the two on the grassy knoll? They were the two guys, like Sturgis says, he was one of the two shooters on the grassy knoll. That's what he admitted, admitted to me. See, I thank Sturgis for killing Kennedy for what he did with when those dead bodies came aboard with that winch on that picture. Mm. Yeah. Little bad pigs. Yeah. So what's wrong with that? You know, and Sturgis then said, Yeah. And he said the only way as I explained what he said, the only way you know that is if you were on the Essex. I said I was. And for fifty years they denied we were even there. Now when they were doing the, going back a little bit, like into the compromising, um, where did they recruit like these kids and stuff for these pedophiles? Well, that's easy. See, they had 
what they called juice joints, and they had all these gay bars. There was gay bars and all that, and especially the juice joints, that's where the kids hung out. And they would be there and pick these kids up, and I had cases where some guy just cut, a number of years ago called to thank me, and uh, then they would use the kids, right? These kids were allowed underage. All underage and stuff, yeah. And uh, yeah, and then they used the kids, you know, once they were in. And then the other part of that that comes into this is where uh, we had a case where seven, there were 13 murders. Seven of them, everybody had a uh, vote of, of candle by the body. And uh, when we went, we found out where the kid was at Camp Lejeune, the Marine place, and the third day there, the kid said to me, you don't have to look any further, but I'm not going to admit to seven murders. So right away we knew what had happened, you know. These guys had used this kid and had sex with him, and when he got big enough and old enough, he systematically went and killed every one of them. And when he killed them, you put a votive candle by the body. Well, the gunny sergeant, you know, you could see a yeah, little fag, we're going to get him, right? I said, Sergeant, you touch that kid. I will guarantee you he had four Marines assigned to us when he found out what we were there for. And I said, you touch him, and I will guarantee you all of you will end up dead. I says, I have seven people to show you that I'm right. The kid smiled, yeah. He just gave me the look like, Mm -hmm. No, but how many cops, even now, there's other people, you messed with them, they ended up killing you when they got big enough and old enough. Nobody knows about that shit. I did. You know, Skull Murphy, my main man, the worst there ever was. And in my thing I have here, when he finally found out at the State Select Committee of Crime that I was honest and had integrity, that's when he changed his life. Because he was, he had been molested as a kid. You know, his family, he went to, to become a priest and ended up being a pedophile and murderer and everything else, but then he changed. And that I was his, you know, sort his life. Now, Stone Murphy was with his Stonewall, wasn't he? Oh, well, yeah. The Stonewall thing, too. Here's another thing. It was just celebrated a week or two ago. Well, there were only four people in the world that knew the truth. Me, Skull, and two bosses. There was a, a first deputy commissioner, a lieutenant in that office, that was shaking down the Stonewall, besides the division and that, right? Well, anyhow, the night that Skull, when the gay, this was gay, the Stonewall part was gay, and uh, we set it up that we would bust it. The, and I was told when Skull made the payoff at the 6th Precinct, he signaled me, and we had a bunch of cops in the uh, police academy, so there was no, rate, no phones or anything there. And then when the, we got word that they had made the payoff, then we raided, right? These cops had no idea what we were doing. 
But then there was a riot. And guys like Tommy Falco, Brother Tom and them, you know, they were there and they hollered, go get them girls. But about a week and a half later, the gays met with me. You know, and when we were there, they said, you know, it's a shame. We thank you for helping us and all that. But, you know, this is going to make what they want. They want the pedophiles to have sex with, you know, that's so they can have sex with kids. And that's just what's happening now. But that was what it was all about. Skull didn't want them with the kids, although he had been a victim, you know. So, and that gets into be a real deep story. But uh, like you take St. John's where kids are molested and stuff and what they turn out to be, you know. Well, so the Stonewall riot then, that resulted in cops not raiding the Stonewall bar anymore, right? Yeah, yeah, but... And, but that yeah, gave but rise to pedophilia. Yeah, but that was for the pedophiles. The, the prost, you know, the gay guys didn't oh, count yeah. anymore then. Mm -hmm. And when I came up with, with this stuff about the uh, 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 human intelligence, human compromise, they flipped out that I had that, you know, like MK Ultra and that. I worked that. Ask Maggie, we were at my German dinner, and a lady comes up, she says, are you the cop from New York? And I go, yeah. She goes, wait a second. Are you the detective? I said, yeah. Because she had worked at St. Vincent's Hospital, and I was the cop that got called and all the weird shit. But my greatest and favorite story is Little Mama and Tina. I go to get her to testify, and the doctor says, she's been catatonic, black girl, forced into prostitution, you know. And for two months, he says, we haven't been able to get her to respond. Oh, I said, don't worry. So I walked in, and I go, Tina, what the hell is going on? Mr. Boots, is that you? Help me. She came slowly up, moving, and the doctor almost had a heart attack. He couldn't believe that I could bring her because they were using electric shots and, you know, stuff like that, and she wouldn't come out of it. And like little mama, too. Little mama was in a hospital. The pimp had beat her. She looked like she was going to die, and they sent a cop to get me because she wanted to talk before she died. And I got there, held her hand, and talked to her and that, and she lived. And these people would go, how can you do that? It's just so amazing, and you know, it's like what my thing there is honesty and have integrity. Now, most people don't even know the difference between that, but the integrity was if you gave your word, that was it good, bad, or ugly. And I always did. Thank you for listening to Shadows of Midwest. And please remember to leave a like or review on your favorite podcast platform. Also visit our YouTube page along with our Facebook page for additional in-depth information and updates. Additional music was provided by Matt Webb and the Hutchinson Effect. Shadows of the Midwest was written and produced by Joe Kistner and a production of Just Past Nowhere Productions, LLC, 2023.